Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover Kyush's favorite WrestleMania. It's WrestleMania 9. Kyush, before we do that, let's take a minute. Anything you want to talk about? Oh, I don't know, Steve. Is there anything that happened last week? Any uh, big, worth-shattering, world-changing events in the world of wrestling? Yeah, let's talk about WrestleMania. Yeah, um... So, yeah, WrestleMania happened over the weekend. Uh, If you're listening to this sometime in the future, we're talking about, what was the number? WrestleMania 38 in Dallas. Happened over the weekend. I would say I was pleasantly surprised overall. I thought night one pretty much kicked ass. Night two was not great, but watchable. Um, I feel like there's a pattern emerging where night one is kind of for the hardcore fans and night two is for the casual fans, which kind of makes sense to me. Oh, it absolutely makes sense. And, like, it, it worked functionally super, super, super well. And, like, they're doing more experiments now that they have two nights to work with. Like, obviously, Brock Brock versus Roman is, like, the super untouchable main event of main events, right? Yeah. Fine. But Night One's main event wasn't even technically a match on the card. It was just, a, like, a promo segment that turned into a match. That's something that they never even would have flirted with in the past. Like, it's really interesting the way that they laid this out. We've talked, I feel like we've talked in recent weeks about things that were booked, especially for me, and night one of WrestleMania being built around Steve Austin and Cody Rhodes feels very much like the universe was booking for an audience of one. And yeah. it was me. Shit, not only that, but like how many times have we begged them to structure these shows like New Japan yes. does? Where it's they like all the most important matches at the, on the end of the show in a row, don't worry about staggering them, don't worry about cooling them off or whatever, whatever. They did that. I think it kind of happened by accident because I think they were going to do the New Day match on night one and they cut it because the show was running long. Right. Well, thank God, because what actually winds up happening is a show that everything just kept building and building and building and delivering each time. Yeah. So uh, do you want to start with Cody or Steve Austin? Let's start with Cody, because that's the big one for me. Yeah. I had spent, I'm not kidding, weeks anticipating this and visualizing it and hoping and praying, A, that it would be Cody, and B, that they would do it right, and he would have the full American Nightmare presentation. And he did. Like, he's got the music, he's got the gear, he's got the lights going out, he even got to keep wrestling has more than one royal family, which I did not think they would give him. If you could see the text messages that go back and forth between <laughs> me and Steve and the weeks coming up to this show at the beginning, it was like, man, I can't wait to see Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania. And then as we got closer, it was like, oh, man, I really fucking hope they actually go through with Cody Rhodes. I'll always remember you tweeting before the show, like the lights go down. Da, da, da. I'm starting to worry about Cody Rhodes. <laughs> I the other thing is I was sure they were gonna do like an Elias piss take first, right? Because that's just how they do this. Like they've done it a million. Like lights go out and a guitar chord plays and it's Elias. On another note, Elias kind of looks like a star in Trunks. Yeah, it turns out that Ezekiel is what he should have been all along because he kind of looks like an awesome fucking badass. But yeah, the co- I mean the entrance amazing, the yes. reaction amazing the match kicked ass all the little notes that he put into that match he did stardust he did dusty he did everything like his time in aw which where the matches are 
basically always built around those little story element moments gave him i think so much more I- ideas about what to do in things like this and i think rollins was literally the perfect foil for that because really basically rollins just got his ass whooped yeah and it reminds me so much of another law cast favorite which is christian when he came back from tna and he had grown i felt like grown so much as a performer absolutely obviously he had to come back on ecw because vince didn't see him as a star whereas here he vince clearly sees cody as a gigantic gigantic star and he is based on that reaction he got did you worry that the fans weren't going to respond that way to him a little bit i i I felt like WrestleMania, he would definitely own. Raw, I don't know, it was weird. Raw started, he didn't get a huge reaction when he first came out on Raw, but he definitely hooked the, I, I don't know if maybe it was kind of a different crowd and they just didn't recognize him, recognize the entrance at first, but I felt like he hooked him with his promo on Raw. Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be a different audience to some extent, right? Like the WWE audience and the AEW audience, there's obviously crossover because there's only so many wrestling fans in the world these days. But there's going to be some WWE fans who don't watch AEW, have no idea what goes yeah. on there, where he's been, might not even remember him from when he was a jobber on Superstars 10 yeah. years ago. I mean, yeah, you have to go back to when was the last time he played Co- Cody Rhodes? Last time he played Cody Rhodes, not Stardust, was 2014. Yikes. Eight years. <laughs> yeah. And the last time he did anything as Cody Rhodes that actually meant a shit was what? When he... Him and the Shield, him and Goldust against the Shield. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when, like, the Shield were babies. Like, that's ridiculous. So, yeah, loved that. Really looking forward to this WWE run for him. And and it's so clear to me this was the right decision to leave AEW. Oh, yeah. And, like, look, I'm sure they could have done something where they turned him heel in AEW and it would have freshened him up. But, like... The crowd just genuinely got sick of him. Yeah. And th- and that's okay. Like, AEW that didn't really need him anymore. AEW outgrew him, but he also outgrew it. Like, they, they grew in separate directions. What he was trying to do was really no longer what AEW was trying to do. And yeah. he wasn't the only one carrying the breadth of all of their major emotional storylines anymore. So it was time to move on. He, he... had his maximum value and they have theirs. The other weird thing is, on AEW's roster, he was not quite an old guy, but definitely a veteran. Yes. On WWE's roster, he's kind of a young guy. What is he, like 35? He's like 35 or 36. He's one of their younger main event stars. I think he's the same age as Roman. Yeah, he and Roman are like the only two people under 40 on the whole fucking roster other than who Austin Theory. Have, who are over it all. Yeah. They have some guys who are on the younger side, but... Like none of them, none of them are stars. Every, everybody in this company who means anything is over forty. And we're getting to the point where they're some of those people are just some of those lights are finally just starting to go out. Like we got rid of fully Triple H, The Undertaker, Vince McMahon, Steve Austin are gone forever, seemingly. Maybe not Brock Lesnar, but after this show, it just seems like we're finally putting our stamp on anybody who was part of the Attitude Era is. They're fading away. It's it's time to move on. Okay. The Austin thing. Yes. So much better than Iantis. Like I I would say by the time we got there, I was ex- I thought I was like we're going to get a match here. Like the bell was going to ring here, but I thought it was going to be a 3-minute thing. I just thought it was going to be some punches and a stunner. 
I was not thinking Austin was going to work 15 minutes, take a suplex on the concrete, be in incredible shape, not see somehow not seemingly be winded at all after that 15 minute match. No, I mean, literally this was every bit the match that most of like his raw matches in the late nineties were Where, like, literally he's just like fucking around half the time, but taking some stiff bumps and like, you know how much it takes cardio wise to do that stomp in a mud hole shit. Like oh, it, yeah. bl- it would blow anybody up who wasn't in incredible shape. Now he looked a little shaky at the beginning, but he clearly settled in as the match went on and got more comfortable. And by the end he was on fire and tons of credit to Kevin Owens. I, Kevin Owens made Austin look like a million bucks here. Listen, there's a reason why Steve Austin waited 19 years. I don't think it's because he had no interest in wrestling a match for 19 years. What I think is honestly the case is he just didn't think there was anybody who he could have that match with until now. Yeah. Or at least that it would the things didn't line up for it to actually but, yeah, happen. The money and the right opponent, it just never quite came together. And I'm sure he wanted to wrestle CM Punk, but I just don't know that he could have made that work yeah. at the point in his career he was at. I think he wanted to do it in Texas. So maybe if Punk's still in the company when they came to Dallas, maybe he would have thought about it then. But like every time they came to Texas with Mania, it just wasn't right. Yeah. Every time he wanted to fight somebody, it just wasn't right. I think maybe you could have done him and Jericho with the WrestleMania in Houston where Jericho wrestled the legends. But here's the problem is that he and Jericho have the shittiest chemistry (laughs) of any two wrestlers who ever lived. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that's fair. I I assume they didn't promote the match in advance at Austin's request. I, my guess is he didn't want to raise expectations too high, which was smart. It was fun to see them do basically this exact same thing with both him and Vince in the same weekend. Yes. Um, man, Vince, is, Vince needs to not do physical things anymore. How much do you want to bet? That stunner was, it was honestly scary to watch. I bet that he never had any intention of doing a match until everyone was like, Vince, you can't you fucking can't do, do a match. match. That's insane. And then he said, well, fuck all of you. I'm wrestling. Um, yeah. Night two. Not didn't didn't wow me or anything, but it was fine. Uh, main event wasn't amazing, but right decision to put Roman over strong. I wonder. I feel like Brock may have gotten hurt. I mean, it's possible. Yeah, the, the ending felt a little abrupt. I'm going to say this, like I. For as much as they were pushing that particular match, because on paper, it was really the thing that was holding this whole show together as a draw. Nothing else really felt like it had that level of panache, especially since we didn't know for sure we were getting that Austin match until we did or that Cody Rhodes was actually going to be there. We knew, but we didn't know it delivered. And like just. For them to finally get those two standing in the ring together looking at each other and for the fans finally to buy into it yeah. like the sixth fucking time. We've done this match so many times and it bombed every time. For them to finally get a version of this match in the ring that finally gets the reaction Vince yeah. wanted. And like the the fans were buzzing. Like this felt <laughs> like a dream match even and, though we've seen it a million times. And now Roman Reigns is a gigantic baby face. Yeah, here's the thing. The next night on Raw, it's going to be like that now. He the doesn't entire have... crowd is like, they're acknowledging him. They were like mad when he wanted to talk bef- without saying acknowledge me. They were like, say the line, motherfucker. We want to cheer now. 
I mean, I'm and I'm intrigued on where this goes, whether he gives one of the belts up, whether he has to defend them both. I would just have I think at this point you got to have him keep the belts. He's got to hit two years as champion. I think you'd be right. insane not to. And I shit, I might go for three. Like I could see him hold it. Well, let's see. What was it? He needs like 100 days to beat Pedro Morales. 2024. So Wouldn't you got to yeah, have him beat Pedro. At the very least, just to put him in like the top four all the time. Yeah. You're not realistically catching Bruno Hogan or Backlund because you'd need to hold it until like 2027. Yeah, I don't think he can do that. But still, like just to put him in that rarefied air is incredible. And like if yeah. you know, if they have Rock for next Mania, great. We can just kill time until then. Who cares? Yeah. It, it's the after that is the. Somebody's got to beat him at some point. It's been three I'm years. Ron Breaker. He's the only thing on the horizon I see. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's <laughs> Have Cody. Other ideas. Yeah. That's the other one. I don't know. Anyway. Not I, even in my wildest dreams. I got to tell you, uh, this is the most excited about their product I've been in absolute years. Like, it's just having Cody there reinvigorates it. It looks like Braun Breaker might be coming up pretty soon. That's cool. Roman kicks ass. A lot of the uncertainty has drained away about where they're going. We're already there now, so it's it's good to have. Yeah. Other odds and ends. Uh, did you watch the Ring of Honor show? I did. I did watch the Ring of Honor. Show. <laughs> I didn't realize I didn't realize it was happening until I started seeing tweets about it, and they were halfway through the show. Otherwise, I would have bought it. Yes, I bought it, and I had a great time watching it. I. Can't even express to you how much I hated Ring of Honor before the sale. <laughs> it's your uh, villain origin story. Literally, I was such an early fan. Like, I've we've joked with you guys so many times about how I was a big TNA fan and then they destroyed me. I would so much rather watch an Impact show than Ring of Honor, what it became before the end. Like, it was literal garbage. This was a lot of fun. FTR and the Briscoes had a fucking amazing... T- FTR are on one of the greatest runs I've ever seen a tag team go on. Yeah. I grudgingly admit that it's an amazing match because I literally... Like, the Briscoes are some of the shittiest people in the history of the planet. But you know what? That match was so good, I can't even deny it. And like you said, FTR... For FTR as Probably a babyface act, yeah. to be one of the greatest acts in all of wrestling is so unexpected and cool. Yeah. Samoa Joe coming back. Samoa oh. Joe on it, on Dynamite, too. We got Joe back, guys, and he looks like Joe again. Like the old Joe. WWE fired this guy twice. Twice. In the oh. same year. Wild. Wild. All right. So we had a good time in the present day, but now let's go back to 1993 when a young Cuse was watching his very first WrestleMania. Yeah, um, baby. It's a time of change for the WWF. Um, we've gone through the Hogan boom in the 80s. They tried to pass the torch to the Ultimate Warrior in 1990, and it didn't end up working. They went back to Hogan. They tried you know, bringing in some old stars from the past in Sergeant Slaughter and Ric Flair. Didn't really work. You know, Maybe they tried to give the keys to the kingdom to Psycho Sid. Turned out he liked softball too much. Anyway, they need a youth movement at this point. Ric Flair's gone back to WCW. Hogan is on his way out. 
Roddy Piper is focusing on movies. Jake Roberts has left. Andre the Giant is dead. They are having to move on uh, from their big stars of the 80s. So things have changed. Bret Hart is now the WWF champion. Yokozuna is their new monster heel. Shawn Michaels is the Intercontinental Champion. They're pushing the Steiner brothers. They've brought in Lex Luger. They've got Razor Ramon coming in white hot as a heel. I feel like they've got a really intriguing group of young talent here. Absolutely. They've only got a few left of the old guard to like kind of put these guys over. And that's partly why the new generation struggles so much at first. Yeah is that somebody's got to put the new guys over on their way out, and nobody does. Like, these guys don't get to beat anybody, which sort of, like, robs them of some of their credibility. But in terms of talent, you could argue that, like, they have a potential main event scene here that's potentially better than the one that they had before, minus Hulk. Yeah, that is what they're missing, is the one megastar. Right. But they've got, I mean, with... Brett, Sean, Yoko, Luger, Undertaker, Bam Bam. Forgot to mention Bam Bam Bigelow's here, too. That is a great group of guys to build around. They proceed to fuck up every single one of them, but it's a good group to build around. Yeah, for as much as people refer to this era as, like, this dark period of wrestling history, like, it is. But it's not because they didn't have the talent or the potential to do some great business with these people. There's a lot of other extraneous factors like steroid trials and all this other stuff. But a lot of it is just that they take each one of these people and one by one piss their entire credibility away. Yeah. You mentioned they're dealing with the steroid scandal. That's probably another thing that, you know, helped, um, helped get Bret Hart. The title was, Although he's admitted he used steroids at point in his careers, he was not a guy you would look up as look at and be like, oh, that guy is super roided up. Like he has a natural athlete's physique. And then you've got Yokozuna, who obviously was not on steroids as his opponent here. This is, I don't know, first clean WrestleMania main event in history. It might very well be, honestly. Like, it's oh, we first... need to go through every single WrestleMania main event, but yeah, it certainly is. I think it's hard to believe that there could be another one. I don't know when the next one is. <laughs> honestly, it's very possible that we've only had like five totally clean ones. L- LT Bam Bam? I don't think LT was on steroids. LT was lost in the sauce, baby. I think he's not dirty for a whole different reason. Um, so yeah, that is also forced to change in direction in their product. Um, one of the things I find most, most interesting about this WrestleMania is the atmosphere and the business story. Yes. It's the only WrestleMania held in Las Vegas to date, but it's very similar to the model of WrestleMania four and five from Atlantic city. The idea is that the casinos are going to buy most of the tickets to use them Um, to give to high rollers, uh, big gamblers, to induce them to try to come to Vegas and gamble. Like, this happens with every boxing match, every UFC fight that's in Vegas. The casinos buy basically all the tickets and give them away to their big gamblers. So without having to do any marketing, you have sold this show out as soon as you announce it. It is fantastic, too, because it kind of creates like these two distinct tiers of the fans in attendance. Yeah. The lower bowl, like close to the ring, is all rich people who don't they give a fuck. Don't give a single shit. They're there because their kids like wrestling. And the people on the upper deck are losing their yeah. goddamn minds because those are the actual fans. Um, 
so that in some sense hurts the atmosphere, but I love the, I love the way this show looks and the atmosphere. This is the, this was the first outdoor WrestleMania and the only one for a very long time. They didn't go outdoors again until WrestleMania 24 in Orlando, 15 years later. And it's the only WrestleMania to date where the sun was up the entire time. There's, so I'm going to have to reckon with this now, because every time we mention that this is my favorite WrestleMania of all time, I'm going to get hit with a lot of DMs of people being like, what the fuck are you talking about? This one sucked. Here's the thing. The most special thing about this WrestleMania is that it is absolutely one of a kind. And there are very few WrestleManias that feel that way. I mean, I guess maybe like WrestleMania four feels kind of one of a kind because of the tournament, but, and like the last 20 of them have all felt basically exactly the same because it's the same layout pretty much every single time. There will never be another WrestleMania like this one. It's, it's kind of smaller by comparison, even though there's a ton of people still there. They're like, the setup is totally different from anything we've ever seen before. You have all of these like animals there. The sun is up. Not only have we never seen a WrestleMania look like this, I had never even seen a wrestling show presented this way. It feels completely alien to anything else that they've ever done. Yeah. And it feels special. Yeah, I don't think you could ever. I don't know how you would repeat this because now every WrestleMania is in a stadium. They'll go back to Vegas. If I were going to guess, they're in L.A. next year. I bet the year after that they're probably in Vegas would be my guess. But they'll be in the football stadium. Yeah, exactly. It won't be anything like this. And every football stadium, no matter how ornate you make it, it looks like a fucking football stadium, right? Now, they could do like a fucking Survivor Series here. or This is what I've always wanted from them. And something that we've always mentioned when we cover the WCW shows is that when WCW would do like a Spring Stampede or a Halloween Havoc, they would do things with the set so that the shows actually felt yeah. different from each They'd other. Actually give the show character. And like that would I mean love, that... You, I, I love Hogwild. I love the shows in Sturgis just because they're different. Yeah, that's all I really ask for is just that my shows not all look exactly identical. And that's part of the problem that I personally have with WWE these days is that it literally week to week, month to month is the same fucking show. The giant video screen set kills me. It's just so it has no character. It's soulless. No matter where you are, no matter what town they're in, no matter what building it is, it's the same. Exactly the same shot. Exactly the same exact same set. And even that's not a patch on the Thunderdome, which was the single worst presentation of any show ever in the history of wrestling. Again, because that, we promise we will never do a show from the Thunderdome. Nope. I will never watch a show from the Thunderdome. I don't think I watched a single minute of wrestling footage from the entire Thunderdome period. But anyway, that's neither. Only there was some good Roman Reigns. Like the Roman Reigns Usos matches were really good. I, You know what? Now that you mentioned I did watch clips online of that stuff, yeah. so I can't say that, but... Here, you just have something so incredible. Not only that, but, like, everyone's into it in such a way that they never do again. Like, everyone wearing, like, the togas and the crowns and coming out riding animals and all these crazy unique entrances. It's like for one night they decided to tap into this creative outlet that they just literally never explore again in the history of the promotion. So the long and winding road to get here a year before this, if you looked at WrestleMania eight, the top matches were Hulk Hogan versus Sid in the main event, Ric Flair versus Randy Savage for the WWF title, uh, Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper for the intercontinental title 
and Undertaker versus Jake Roberts uh, was the other big match. A year later, roughly half those guys are not on the card, or in the case of Hulk Hogan, he's here, but just for a cup of coffee. It seems impossible that this is even the same promotion as that one. Fucking even Hulk, who is here, has like lost 50 fucking pounds since then. And his eye is swollen shut. Talk about that in a minute. Yeah, we will. But like literally, this is a We will. This is maybe one of the most dramatic reconstructions of a roster of any major promotion ever. Like everybody's gone and all new people are in their place. So what happened to all these guys? Jake quit because he wanted them to give him Pat Patterson's job and they wouldn't do it because he's Jake Roberts and he's incredibly unreliable. And he would go to WCW to do spin the wheel, make the deal. Yeah. Sid got fired for very quit. I don't know. He was, I think he refused to take his drug tests. That that one was pretty shady. Like we covered that one back in the archives a little bit, but like I, but Sid got kind of a bum deal on that one. They were firing a lot of people for steroids around this time. Oh, the Ultimate Warrior returned on that WrestleMania eight. He's gone too because he got caught getting HGH shipments. He was gonna be gone one way or another. Yeah, it never lasts long. Hogan, uh, just stopped taking bookings after WrestleMania eight, at least. I mean, I think he was still working some Japan dates, but he just didn't appear between WrestleMania eight and WrestleMania nine. He was just not really interested in doing the WWF at that point. Yeah. Famously this year, that summer in between that WrestleMania and this one is the, the legendary Japan Hogan summer where he goes over there. and He's like, fuck it. I'm just going to work. I'm going to do some fucking matches, y'all. Yeah. And he, he shits d- on the WWF. Yeah, where he cuts a bunch of promos about how WWF fucking sucks and their belts yeah. don't mean anything. Just like, IWGP title is number one. Ichiban title. WWF title means nothing. That's a toy. He wrestles a bunch of matches with Muda, which are like genuine, like, Matt wrestling spectacles. <laughs> the legendary Japan Hogan. The one summer who he's just like, oh, you don't think I can work? Well, let me show you, motherfuckers. It's the modern <laughs> equivalent. It's like the old equivalent of like going to TNA just to show you can do it. So SummerSlam 92, we get Warrior um, Warrior against Savage for the title. And then um, Brett Bulldog in the main event for the IC title in an absolute classic. You know, Brett drops the title, but he's moving on to bigger things. I think the huge house that show drew probably cemented that Brett was going to be the world champion. Yeah. And I, w- I went back and listened to the something to wrestle with about this particular show, because I do think that at least that was from the era where that show was worth listening yeah. to about this sort of thing. When that show was still good. And they just Bruce just keeps relentlessly beating on about what an unbelievable draw Brett was in Europe. And like oh, that can't yeah. be understated. Like literally you've see you can see footage of Brett like going to Germany and getting mobbed in the streets like the fucking Beatles. Yeah. It was just something about him. I assume just the fact that he wasn't American made him so appealing to just not and not just in Europe. It felt like he was a huge draw in Africa, in Asia, of course in Canada, everywhere but the everywhere but America. Yeah, there, there was just something about his like stoic demeanor and like model good looks that worked yeah. everywhere but here. So Brett got the title, I think, much sooner than they were expecting. They took the title off Savage, 
put it on Ric Flair. Flair got hurt. Warrior dropped him on his head, so he had vertigo and could barely stand up straight. They had him drop the title to Brett in October in what is a shockingly bad match. Yeah, it's stunning that, like, so they had these two cards to play. They had Flair and they had Savage. Those are the only two guys they were going to get to be able to, like, put over somebody new as the top guy. But at least they had them, in theory. What actually happens is Brett never really gets to fight Savage, and he only gets to fight a basically crippled Flair who can't yeah, put him over. on probably. a house show in Saskatoon, Canada. So, like, Brett is coming into this title reign with fucking no steam whatsoever. No, I, I still think it's crazy. The fact that in 1992 they changed the title. Not, I mean, they would do it a couple years later with Diesel. At least that was at Madison Square Garden. But yeah, that they changed the title to Brett on a house show in a match they never showed on TV is insane. Just imagine you were watching TV during that era, which I was, by the way. Yeah. And like Bret Hart just shows up on TV and he's the champion. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. The title didn't change in those days. Like, five people had held it since I was born. But they had really started hot-shotting it in the year leading up to that is the thing, because they had done the Hogan Undertaker thing. They had done the two Hogan Undertaker title switches and then held the belt up and Flair won it at the Rumble. Then Savage won it. Then Savage lost it to Flair on TV, which... They had never, I mean, they, when was the last time had they ever done a actual, like, straight up televised title change, not right. pay-per-view or house show. Hogan and Andre on network TV, that's a much bigger stage. But yeah, they literally had Flair win the title from Savage just on a match they aired on primetime wrestling. Just remember that, like, in the years leading up to this, like, before Warrior wins it, basically, like, title reigns happen. Hogan was the champion for basically all i mean hogan was the champion for six years before that and savage was champion for a year yeah savage got it for a bit and then it was like hogan for four years and before that backland for four years and before that bruno for 85 years like it just didn't work this way up until now so in terms of options to challenge brett here at wrestlemania you've got the newly debuted Yokozuna, who is an amazing attraction, I'd say, in the vein of Andre the Giant. You have Razor Ramon, this you know brand new white hot heel who's just dripping with charisma. You've got the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, who's now the Intercontinental Champion, who's starting to get over. He's probably not ready to main event WrestleMania yet. Uh, the Beast from the East, Bam Bam Bigelow, who also is newly debuted and hasn't gotten to do a ton yet, uh, isn't on this show. I think he was booked in a match they cut because he was injured. Which is and, understandable if he was hurt. Yeah. Uh, Lex Luger, who's you know been with the World Bodybuilding Federation for a while before this, but debuted as the narcissist at the Royal Rumble and looks like an alien dropped in from another planet on this roster of guys who have all suddenly shrunk because they're not on steroids anymore. Well, it is fantastic that like basically Vince gets him, puts him in this like bubble reality where it's like, no, 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 he doesn't count. He doesn't count. And then just waits patiently until he's like, it blows over and people, he's like, they're not watching anymore. Right. Put Lex on TV with his unbelievably not real muscles. Yeah. And then the other option would be Randy Savage. Right. Seemingly not an option. He's an announcer on this show. He doesn't even have a match. But 
to me, that would be almost the most obvious guy. If you're going to try to put Brett over, have him beat one of the biggest stars in the history of wrestling. Like you can easily turn Savage heel and just have him be like, he doesn't like the new generation. He thinks all these young guys are disrespectful, you know, hail to the macho king. In retrospect, that would have been the perfect thing to do because that's what Brett needs, really. It's just the credibility of beating one of those 80s legends. Yeah. The problem is Vince has his sights set on a different 80s legend, a much bigger 80s legend. (laughs) The biggest fish of them all. Yeah. And he's ultimately not going to reel that fish in, but that's that's what he's looking at. Yeah. So... They go with Yokozuna. He wins the Royal Rumble in January. We've got a Brett versus Yoko main event. It's not the biggest main event, but it's the attraction here to me is one. Yoko is just a absolute freak of nature being so big and so athletic, but also you really can't call this one because usually the face wins at WrestleMania, but also Yoko looks unbeatable. You can't imagine anyone beating Yokozuna. Yeah, Brett comes into this as a staggering underdog. Like, yeah. he's he's beaten some people, but, like, he's never even remotely beaten somebody as threatening as this. They haven't been, like, booking him against bigger opponents or anything like that. He he wrestles athletic matches against other smaller guys. We've never seen him fight somebody like Yoko before. No. Looming over all this, what do you do with Hulk Hogan? He hasn't been on WWF TV for a year. Of course, it's good to be WrestleMania time. They're going to call him. He's been raked over the coals publicly for lying about his steroid use. Just been exposed as a fraud and a liar. There's rumors he's negotiating with WCW. And he's talking about doing a European tour with Angelo Poffo, Randy's dad. And he's working dates in Japan. There's still value to Hogan. I think if he was going to come back at this point, he turning heel probably would have been the right thing to do to freshen him up. But I don't think he was ready for that. Well, that's the thing is that we, well, obviously with the benefit of future sight, turning him heel is the right thing to do because when that happens, it's an explosion that sustains a promotion for the next five years of its run. If they had turned him heel here, the problem is it probably would have made him such a big star to do that that would have overshadowed Brett anyway. Yeah. But at any rate, that's clearly what needs to happen. And I just don't think that Hogan's ready in his mind no. to take that step. But neither no, is Vince. It takes I don't years. Think. Yeah. Now, Vince is still thinking we can get one more run out of the big guy. Vince has pushed Hulk Hogan as a heel for a grand total of two months in the entire yeah. time he's had him. Here, he's booked to team with Brutus Beefcake against Ted DiBiase and IRS. That's not all that big, but I don't know. I don't have a ton of better ideas here. Do you? I mean, no. I mean, Giant Gonzalez, maybe. Here's the problem is that you obviously have to promote him being on this show because you need him to for the buys. Right. Yeah. He can't come back as a surprise. There's a there's a point later on in the show where I thought would have been the perfect point to bring him back as a surprise. But they just needed to get more people to put eyes balls on the show. It's not like today where they're more interested in creating a surprising like because of their model, like draw, like, you know, promoting things that advance isn't really as important as just sort of creating viral moments. And it's easier to create a viral moment when it's a surprise. 
I mean, this does the by far the lowest buy rate of any WrestleMania of all time leading up to this. But it does better business than you would expect. Yeah. With that said, it, they thought it was going to do way worse than any yeah. WrestleMania ever. And I, you have to argue that without Hogan, it would have done worse. And then somehow in the lead up to the show, they decide they should put the belt on Hogan. More on that in a second. I want to talk about the eye injury. Yes. Okay. He shows up to this show with a horrific black. Like, it's not even fair to call this a black eye. Like, his eye, half of his face is black and blue. His eye is blood red and swollen shut. Something horrific has happened to him. Like, literally, the pupil inside of his eyeball, like, looks like it has been, like, wrenched and dyed yeah. a different color. It's, it's disgusting. Scary. It's scary to look at him. The urban legend is that Randy Savage beat him up because Randy Savage in the story, like found out he was having an affair with Liz or just like found out Liz had been staying at his house when she would like leave, you know, leave Savage. Objectively, this is not true. Like no, it's, it's like just not a fist did not do that to him. Like that would be the most hellacious punch of all time. This is literally what it looks like. You remember all those times you hear about people like popping each other's eyeballs out of their heads? This is what it looks like when that happens to your eye. So what Hogan says happened is he was riding jet skis with beefcake and he fell off, like he fell off the jet ski. And the way jet skis are is the because the handle is so heavy, they tilt if you're not holding them. So the jet ski circled back. He says jet ski circled back and hit him in the face and like could have killed him. He says, you know, it's Hogan, but like clearly caused a pretty serious injury here. And I mean, that's somewhat plausible. It's difficult to believe that would only affect just the one eye and like no bit. other part of his head or anything like that. I mean, I guess he ducked out of the way and it just kind of brushed it the side of his face. I, I, there's really no good reason. Like, unless what he did was he tried to, like, pickpocket Ming in a back alley and got what he deserved. I can't really think of what would have caused this. No, but it I mean, maybe, a, wa- maybe a, a, weightlift, a weightlifting accident, but I don't know why he would lie about that. Like, if it, unless, there's just no way that it was the Savage thing, because we would have heard something from someone about that somewhere along the line. Yeah, you, you know don't think mean? Savage ever would have, when Savage was doing his raps on Hogan, he would be a man, Hulk. I, I ruined your, smashed your face. Yeah. yeah. I destroyed your face. I mean, ironically, Beefcake was also in a horrible boating accident that nearly killed him a couple years before this. Yeah, these two are not aquatic men. They needed no. to stay on land. So, I mean, I think the doctors told Hogan, like, no way can you get on a plane right now. No way can you wrestle. And he did it anyway. It's WrestleMania. But this would help explain why he, uh, I mean, if you've listened to that episode of Something to Wrestle With, you know, like, Bruce kept claiming the reason we put the title on him was so he could go on the European tour as champion. Of course, he didn't go on the post-WrestleMania European tour. Now, Somehow on this show, the possibilities never brought up that maybe he was supposed to go on the tour and he couldn't because of this injury, which would make sense to me. It would make total sense. Like, if you're not supposed to get on a plane at all, you damn sure are not supposed to get on a plane and go to Europe. Yeah. Fly 12 hours to Europe. Not a good idea. No, it would have been a horribly stupid idea to do that. Now, does that mean that maybe you shouldn't put the belt on him? Because if that was the idea, yes. of it, then why are you doing it now? 
Yeah, probably, but that is what that is. But yeah, the two reasons Pritchard gave for why they decided to put the belt on Hogan. First, they wanted to promote, the to like get people for the replay. of the, This was the first time they were going to do a replay of the show. So there was going to be a replay on Tuesday. And they could hype the hell out of the fact that Hogan won the belt on Raw on Monday and hook people to buy the, who didn't buy the show the first time around to buy it for the replay to see the Hogan thing. And second, that they wanted Hogan to be champion on the European tour. Of course, he didn't go on the tour. Don't know whether he was booked at all. I Maybe somebody has dug up the promotional materials for it to see. But of course, he's not on the tour. It could well be because of the eye injury. Now, here's the thing. When you listen to Bruce Pritchard talk, you always have to wonder, there are things that he just doesn't know because it wasn't him who was privy to him. Yeah. And then there's things that he's going to work because he's Bruce Pritchard and that's why he has the job that he has now. Really, the reason they put the belts on Hogan here is because Vince wants to get to Hogan versus Brett. I think we all pretty much understand that. Yeah. And this is an amazing storyline if it culminates in awesome. Hogan versus Brett. Yeah. It's a, the perfect ending. Yeah. A This dickhead heel Hogan who stole Brett's moment and won the title here. And Brett as the plucky underdog beating Hogan at SummerSlam is awesome and exactly what they need. The problem is Hogan is not going to put Brett over. That is never going to happen. Hogan is not going to lose to a guy Brett's size. And since we don't have Vince's word one way or the other, like Hogan's written about it in his book. Brett wrote about it in his book. Reading between the lines of all of those interactions, it does seem like Vince was playing everybody against each other trying to get that match yeah. in the ring. I mean, I can just believe that Vince... Uh, as much as like Vince is portrayed as the most badass, ruthless guy on the planet, I think he actually struggles to have hard conversations with people. Of course. And Especially so that's like, why he pays Jim Ross and other people to do it for him. And in this circumstance, like Bret Hart is like the guy he wants to build everything around. Yeah. Hogan's the guy who made him all of his money. You don't want to tell either one of those guys like, hey, hey we're not going with you. Like, it's yeah. tough to say. Like Vince got lucky. And he probably wouldn't characterize it this way, but when Austin got injured and had to go down and Rock got to be a star by himself for a while, he got real lucky with that. Because otherwise that Austin versus Rock conversation was going to get real difficult at some point. And this is really the only time he ever really had to do it is right here. Yeah. All right. So after all that, let's get into this show. It's a uh, Sunday afternoon, April 4th, 1993. We're at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, attendance number 16,891. Gate of $1.1 million. That's nearly as big as they did the year before when they had 60,000 people in Indianapolis is the difference in ticket prices. How fantastic only, is that? I think they only sold like 40,000 tickets for that indie show and there was a lot of paper there, but still, they're charging so much more for these tickets. It's just so funny when you think about that they packed a stadium for that show and compared to what it is like these days where they're yeah. making like 20 million at the gate... <laughs> It's pretty fucking crazy. The show does a 2.3 buy rate or 2.0 buy rate for about 430,000 buys. It's down from a 2.3 the previous year, but I'd say not down by as much as you would expect. I mean, again, when you look back to the previous year where they had 
Hogan versus Sid, Flair versus Savage. You would have expected that to draw a lot more than this show. Like you had, they probably expected the whole every, everything, including like attendance, buys, everything to fall off a cliff. That's one of the reasons you do this show is it's guaranteed money. Yeah. As you said, the casino's paying for it. So if you think you might not be able to fill a house otherwise, do it like this and you'll get a guaranteed audience. On commentary, the very interesting team of Jim Ross, Bobby Heenan, and Macho Man Randy Savage. This is one of my favorite commentary teams in WrestleMania history. I dug this team. They kick ass together. Jim Jim Ross does the thing he does when he's constantly being pestered by a heel announcer where he's just desperately trying to call the action while everyone else is distracting him and he hates it. But Savage and Heenan play off each other magnificently. And what a breath of fresh air Jim Ross is for this product. Oh, to not have it be Vince, first of all. Or Gorilla. I mean, even Gorilla by this point was getting up there. Yeah, Gorilla had lost his fastball. Like, obviously, like, and that's understandable. He had gotten really old. Like, everybody gets to that point eventually. Jim Ross is just perfect for this newer, more athletic wrestling style they're going to try to promote. The perfect announcer for that. And I love... Listen, I know that Savage apparently hated doing commentary. And I thought I know he was really good. He's unbelievably good. He's just got this, like, puppy dog quality where, like, he's so earnestly invested in all of the baby faces. It's kind of like Don West in TNA, right? Yeah. Like, it's just constant enthusiasm. And, of course, it, he's it, got a great voice. Yeah, it just sells the product. And he and Heenan have actual history as performers, And it just keeps coming up throughout the course of the show, and I love that. And then we get to various things. Like, on the way into this, Yoko beats Savage. And, like, on the as they get going in the main event, Savage is like, I just couldn't handle how tough and crazy strong this man is. You just can't do anything with him. It's crazy. I love having announcers who have recent relevant experience. I mean, it's the same thing they do in real sports, where they hire players who just retired who have played against the guys they're calling the games of and can talk about playing against them. Shit. Like my favorite UFC commentator is Cormier. Cause like he knows now he's actually fought these guys. It's not from 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, in the dark match, Tito Santana defeated Papa Shango. Actually kind of would have liked to see that. Fucking why can't Tito ever get on these cards? This was, this actually broke his streak. He he had wrestled at every WrestleMania before this. I mean, he wrestled at this one, too, just in the dark match. Poor Tito, though, has wrestled at eight consecutive WrestleManias. Nine now. He's just on the dark match. Has he ever gotten to do anything worth a shit at any of those WrestleManias? Like, they genuinely... No particularly cons- memorable matches for Tito, no. This is a man they genuinely considered putting the belt on at one point. Like that that was a real maybe we go with Tito situation. And now, now he's in the dark match. Oh. Opening package. Can you quote it? I probably could, but let's not do that. <laughs> Vince McMahon narrating his best gravel voice. He's like, WrestleMania, Caesar's Palace, site of WrestleMania 9. It's not a WrestleMania to me, unless this gravelly force dickhead is bringing me into the beginning of the show. 
Um, I think just Triple H should do this now. I think that that's they should just pass that right on. Beautiful set. Love the venue. They you know make it look like the Roman Coliseum. Cleopatra and Julius Caesar welcome us to the show, and then they bring out the commentary team. We got Jim Ross in his sandals and toga. We got Bobby the Brain Heenan brought out backwards on a camel, and Randy Savage brought out by the Vestal Virgins. This is it's like Delightful. 15 minutes before we yeah. get a match in the ring, but who gives a shit? Like this is if you're tuning into this and I want you to imagine you're me and you're what? I don't know what I was like nine, 10 years old when I'm watching this. This is the first WrestleMania you've ever seen. This is the coolest shit you've ever seen in your entire life. Just like Randy Savage being brought out on a palisade with a bunch of virgins feeding him grapes is some baller level shit. It is. Um, and Bobby Heenan backwards on the camel is so funny. It's just high comedy, man. Poor JR forced to wear a toga for his debut, even though it goes against everything he believes in in wrestling, is incredible. It just feels like one of those things where they were testing him, doesn't it? Yeah. They wanted like, to hey, make sure he was going to play ball. And he does. To yeah. his credit, He's a total he pro. Yeah. It's just so strange to me. Vince clearly sours on him, but so fast. Is he gone by SummerSlam? I believe so, yeah. I think by SummerSlam, he's calling it on the radio, is how fast Vince loses confidence in him, which is crazy. But we've talked about how tortured a history Vince has with his play-by-play guys. The truth is, Vince only ever wanted Vince to be the announcer. He doesn't want to personally do it. He just wants his identical clone to do the job. And yeah. he never found it. And the best one he ever had was JR, but he just was never satisfied with it. With the greatest of all time. Opening match for the Intercontinental Championship. We've got Shawn Michaels defending against Tatanka. This was going to be Marty Jannetty versus Shawn Michaels. Just like it was supposed to be Marty Jannetty versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 8, but both times Marty got fired. Marty probably would have won the IC title here. As we go through, you're going to find that this show is one of the most bizarrely snake-bit emergency booked shows in wrestling history. And that's pretty fantastic because it just creates this sense of chaos to everything. God knows what, like, Tatanka was supposed to be doing here with his undefeated streak and everything. But, yeah, this was definitely going to be Marty's moment. And having Sherry come out with Marty makes so much more sense. Than Tatanka. Yeah. Uh, Sean is managed by Luna Vachon making her WWF debut. And Tatanka is managed by Sherry Martel, who, of course, was formerly Sean's valet. But... Uh, she finally has turned on him after he tried to use her as a human shield. Now, let's be clear. She wasn't just his valet. Like, they were fucking. That was oh, in, yeah. That was in the storyline. That's canon, yeah. Yeah, she was his boy toy, but then she fell in love, and he was yeah. not. <laughs> and he dumped her like a bad habit and let her get yeah. her ass kicked. I don't know if this is the debut of Sean's version of Sexy Boy, but he's just recently switched to that. God, the presentation here with him is so good. Let's give a shout out to the ladies here for a second. Luna Vachon in her debut here looks 
unbelievably cool. Like, yeah. does, she, does she not? How scary she is. And, like, she's in this unbelievable shape. She's got the blue tattoo. And, like, her hair is, like, down to her ankles. Like, but it's a shaved on the sides. It's one of the coolest looks ever in wrestling, for my money. What do you think of Sean and Luna as a duo? <sighs> I think it could have worked. Like, if they had treated Luna as sort of, like, China for Triple H, like, that kind of credibility level, I think it could have worked. But, like, it doesn't seem like Sean really wants her because they have almost zero interaction together. Yeah, I get the feeling Sean wasn't into this. Sean wanted, you know, Sean wanted Vinny Vegas as his bodyguard and he got him. Do you think he's already watching, like, Vinny Vegas on Nitro? Yeah, because he's in, he's, he comes over not long after this. It's only a month or two after this he shows up. This is literally when Sean's, like, sitting in hotel rooms watching Superstars or whatever and just being like, God damn. That guy's awesome. Look how big he is. And all he's doing is like cracking jokes and doing Vegas shit. Get him over over here, goddammit. Uh, and this is that Razor has just come over from there where he was also doing jack and shit. Yeah. So the conversations have already got to be happening. I think the story is he asked the Steiners because they had just come over from WCW and they're like, oh, yeah, we know him. He's our neighbor from Detroit. Yes. Not a lot is made of the fact that this is the era where basically – WWF steals WCW's entire crap mid-card, which yeah. is all of their garbage. Look at who had just come over. Jim Ross, who knew when all the contracts were up. Yup. Not a coincidence, boys and girls. Something that would repeat itself many times throughout the war between the WWF and WCW. It felt like WWF would always take their undesirable garbage and then make money with it. Which God. another promotion is doing with WWE's unwanted garbage right now. Going from undesirable to undeniable, you'd say? It's, yeah, I think I would say that. Uh, they had to throw this one together fast. So they had Tatanka beat Sean in a non-title match to get his title shot. You know, they didn't really have time to build an issue here. Of course, They kind of booked themselves into a corner here. Yeah, Tatanka's undefeated, but they don't want to take the belt off Sean. I mean, I think they know Marty's, they're going to rehire Marty at some point, and they want Marty to beat Sean, so they're not going to have Tatanka win the belt here. I don't think it would have been crazy to, but then Sean would have had to beat him and end his undefeated streak. Yeah, which is, eh, that's... Would have been kind of a bummer, but Ludwig Borga beating him was a pretty big bummer, too. There's no greater bummer in my entire life than when Tatanka lost his undefeated streak to Ludwig fucking Borga. Yeah, this ends up being a very long match. 18 minutes. Um, really long for an opener at WrestleMania in this time. However, this is not the longest match of the night, which we will get to later on. My God, I wish this had been, though. <laughs> No, it's a good match. I really enjoyed yeah. it. Like good battle between Sean's, you know, athleticism and Tatanka's power. It's actually funny because Sean himself felt like this was a garbage match that sucked, and everyone else was just trying to convince him, like, no, dude, that match ruled. What are you By talking his, about? I mean, it wasn't up to his WrestleMania standard, but yeah, for the time, this was a very good match. But this is almost kind of where, like, the legend of Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania begins. Because this is when we get to the era of Shawn can have a good match with anybody at WrestleMania. And that remains true throughout his run. I've seen this show a number of times. I'm still unsure what the finish was here. So, okay, they 
The official ruling is that Tatanka wins by countout, but actually I think he loses by disqualification, or at least that's how it seems. Like, I, yeah. it just kind of, people just start wandering around the ring, and then they get in the ring, and then Tatanka beats up Sean, and then they're just like, nope, sorry, countout. Oh, Sean, okay. yeah, Sean grabs the referee, they get back in the ring, Tatanka hits him with a Samoan drop, and then the referee calls for the bell, and... I, I thought he disqualified Sean, but they announced it as a count out. I don't like, know. was there counting? I, they didn't even seem like they were outside the ring for that long. Yeah. Um, Luna attacks Sherry after the match, but Tatanka chases her off. Pretty viciously, too. Like, yeah. she stomps the shit out of her. Sherry also looking real good on this particular night. Indeed she was. Yeah. Uh, we go backstage where Gene Okerlund interviews the Steiner brothers. Um, Gene Okerlund wearing last like, Wrestle, last WrestleMania appearance for Gene for a very long time until that, WrestleMania 17 with the gimmick battle Royal. That's a shame. He is in full attire here. Like the full Roman setup. Yes. How but much even, do you think, how much did Gene enjoy the weekend in Vegas? Oh, I, I'm sure he didn't take this outfit off the whole time he was on the tables and shit. Like, <laughs> That man lost six figures on the tables. Oh, how, yeah. How weekend. much did him and Gorilla drop at the tables this weekend? Sweet Jesus. They have this bust of Caesar in the background, which is going to come into play a little later. And it's just, it's so kooky and different and fun. Why don't they do this stuff more often? It just has so much more personality. Uh, the Steiners are, you know, awkward, earnest, like all-American baby ah. faces here. They're really playing up the fact that they're all-Americans from the mm. University of Michigan. Uh Gene congratulates them on Michigan's big win. Uh, that was the night before in the Final Four. They beat Kentucky to advance to the national championship game in an absolutely phenomenal game. I am glad to have you here for the little context about stuff like that. Because throughout the course of wrestling history, there's all sorts of times where they congratulate people about things like that. And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, Jim Ross would do that shit all the time. Is he sneaking stuff yeah, like... Big win for such and such college team this weekend. Yeah, yeah. We're here in Tennessee this weekend where, of course, they had a big moment this past Saturday night. Like, what no the fuck are you talking, talking about, about JR? Yeah. yeah, Michigan beat Fab Five, beat uh, Jamal Mashburn in Kentucky to advance to the championship game where they would lose to North Carolina on the infamous Chris Webber timeout. Though, of course, the Fab Five and the Steiner brothers might have the, as little to do with each other as any alumni of any college that have ever happened. But still, uh, go Michigan for you guys, I guess. Uh, next, So next up, we've got the Steiner brothers against the Head Shrinkers. Uh, Samu and Fatu. Uh, Fatu, of course, is Rikishi. They're managed by Afa of the Wild Samoans. And Samu is Roman Reigns' dad? Yeah, I believe so. So it's impossible to talk about Rick and Scott here without mentioning the fact that what Pat and Bruce desperately wanted to yes. do was have Scott Steiner come in and win the Royal Rumble in his debut. It's an intriguing idea. What do you think happens? Because in theory, this here would then be... I just don't think he's ready for it. Like, especially with the no presentation. Personality. Yeah. The presentation they're giving them now, these are some fucking dorks. The music they have is the shittiest imaginable. Yeah, it's a, a knockoff of the Michigan Fight song they come out to. A really bad knockoff. It just sucks. Like, they're singlets and everything, and they're big, puffy-ass hair. Like, they just don't look... 
they're cool enough as the Steiner brothers, but there doesn't seem to be anything else there. Like you can say in the future, like you can say once Scott gets in the ring, you can absolutely see what they're talking about. He has superstar written all over him and he did for years and years, but until he finds big Papa pump, he's not ready. The other thing that could have happened, um, Dustin Rhodes. Yes. I think they were trying to get him to jump from WCW. And yeah, I think Bruce was interested in pushing him to the moon. Um, Could have been the original American Nightmare. So this, in theory, would have been Dustin versus Yokozuna or Scott Steiner versus Yokozuna here, you would imagine. Well, I mean, is Dustin going to be, you think Dustin's going to be a babyface? Oh, that's a good question. So Brett versus Dustin? Heel dust. I, yeah, I mean, if you're going to bring in, I mean, it, that's a hard call, I guess, because Dustin had always played babyface in WCW. I just think with his size, he was a natural heel, though. Oh, yeah. He's taller than like any. He's yeah, God, he's Hogan he's, sized. Yeah, he's like up there with Razor, bigger than Luger, way bigger than Brett. Damn, those are interesting to think about. So the term slobberknocker makes its WWF debut here. Heenan proceeds to spend the rest of the match mocking JR in Oklahoma. I feel like Vince was feeding him that through the headset. Yeah. I don't know if that happened so much back in those days, but like you would imagine that Vince would be like, what's a slobberknocker? Um, you know, this is a pretty entertaining match. Uh, there's some, a couple like insane things happen here. Scott hits Samu with a tiger bomb, which yeah, is, he does. my God, incredible. In a hideous botch, Fatu drops Scott over the top rope and he lands right on his head. Yeah. He was trying to drop him on the top rope, but Samu pulled it down. Uh, like, if Long Scott, dirt. again, if Scott weren't an amateur wrestler, I think he would have broken his neck here. Yeah, that was horrifying. And then he just gets right up and just keeps, goes right back to work. Somehow he's totally fine. And then in one of the greatest spots I've ever seen, the shrinkers put Rick up for an electric chair drop. One of them comes off the top, but Rick catches him out of the air and hits a power slam. This is maybe the greatest finish to a match I've ever seen. He catches this 300-pound motherfucker while on another man's shoulders. Then, like, Spanish fly backflips off the guy's shoulders and lands on him for a power slam. Just This unreal. is incredible. Yeah, incredible is the right word for it. Casually. Yeah. Like, he just catches duke dickheads like this while on somebody else's shoulders every day. Pretty good match, a little longer than it probably needed to. It ran about 15 minutes, but yeah, the Steiners were awesome here. I'm such a big Steiners fan. I think it's crazy that the WWF let them walk away, but they're only here for about a year. That is pretty nuts. This is during this period in the early 90s where they're just everywhere. WCW, ECW, Japan. Yeah. You just don't really associate them with any one place because they're just literally working for everybody all the time. They don't go back to WCW until 1996. That's crazy. And yet they're still relevant throughout this whole period because they're just always, they never are going to lack for a job. Like they're the best tag team in the world. Like everybody wants them. It's a shame they never found their way to all Japan. 
because I think the Steiners are what all Japan was always looking for. Like that's the kind of motherfucker that Mizawa yeah. and Kobashi need to fight. Next up, Mean Gene interviews Doink the Clown. Uh, they recap him hitting Crush with a prosthetic arm on superstars, with le- which led to Crush having to be stretchered out of the arena. The idea prosthetic that, arm really hurt him. I gotta tell you, man, this Doink is so fucking fun. Heel Doink was great. Here Matt on this was great. Here in this segment. He's, like, painted that Caesar bust like the Joker, which is terrifying. He cuts this great promo, and then he goes to the ring, and his whole persona of just, like, yeah, I'm a happy-go-lucky clown. I want you to fucking die. It's just incredible. Like, there is a subset of people in the world who feel like the Doink the Clown character is the single greatest gimmick in the history of professional wrestling, and I think I'm kind of one of them. It's a good it's a good character. Yeah. Like an evil clown who's a great wrestler is really intriguing. Again, it's the Joker. That's literally all it is. Is it's just it's a PG version of the Joker. He keeps coming up with inventively evil ways to win matches. And there's yeah. just nobody else doing stuff like that. And Matt Bourne is an awesome wrestler. Awesome. And he is just bitten fully into this character all, it's all into this character this could i think this could have gone a long way had matt Bourne been sober like if he, they had been able to find like his batman foil which i guess maybe would have been brett yeah, yeah. just such a because he's a just such a serious man. he's yeah. just trying to he's always just trying to get a laugh out of brett god like that we could have gone places with that Um, do you remember hearing Bruce Pritchard's idea for like a big top themed WrestleMania? No, what's that? It just would have been like WrestleMania in a giant circus tent for Doink. That's horrifying. Yeah, well, it feels like some kind of hell world where Doink has taken over. So basically, that's just Bruce pitching what will later become the idea for like the Bray Wyatt matches they do, right? Yes. You can kind of see like where those thoughts took shape originally. Yeah. Um, Crush, I've always speculated, is a guy they must have been thinking could be their next Hogan. He was Savage's pick for the next Hogan. I know yeah. that at the very least. Yeah, Savage was his friend and a huge advocate for the guy. Just Here's the thing. No charisma there. He's a big dude, but he's not that big. He's got a good look, but not that good a look. And he can't work. Like, he just flagrantly can't. Every time he was given a big... Even with Savage in the match that they had, he stunk the joint out. You can't have a good match with Randy Savage? What the fuck? It just... The whole, like, Hawaiian thing that they put on him because he was from Hawaii, but, like, it just didn't work because he's just, like, such a white dude. (laughs) There's just nothing here. It just isn't going to go anywhere. Uh, not a ton to this match. The finish is very strange. The referee gets bumped. A second doink shows up and hits crush with the loaded arm. And the original doink gets the pin. The other doink, you know, goes under the ring. Another referee comes down to look for him and they can't find him. And 
the announcers are like, was that an illusion? Are there two doinks? They treat it as much more intriguing than it actually is. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's two doinks, but like in kayfabe terms, it's fascinating for the idea. Are they really telling us that there isn't a second doink? That he just like produced a magical illusion of a second doink? Is that what we're talking about? It's not that outlandish in this era of the WWF. I don't even mind that. Like, there's just the idea of giving him like supernatural magic powers is interesting. (laughs) Not necessarily where I would have gone with it, but okay. I don't know. Uh, then Todd Pettengill, I believe, making his WWF debut, interviews fans in the crowd. He does this like four times tonight. Yeah. And like, bless this man for keeping a straight face and keep pushing through all of this. But these are four of the shittiest segments ever in wrestling history. So you got the two bros in like bedsheet togas who start fighting each other in the middle of the interview and Todd has to like separate them. Like literally they say like they rip the sheets off of their bed at the motel six to make togas. He tries to get like a reaction out of like Nat Cole, Natalie Cole. And like, she doesn't give a shit. It's clearly just tickets that she got from the casino. He goes up into the crowd. He can't get anybody to say anything interesting. And you can just see the suffering on his face. You know, I feel like he was somebody I'd always shit on. I think he was I think he was a good announcer for the era. Well, here's the thing. We always shit on people who actually try earnestly and completely. He was good at shoveling this shit, like typing these terrible in your house pay-per-views. Do you know how impossible a job this is? Imagine you having, like, giving you out there right now a microphone, go into the crowd at a wrestling show and get, like, a decent soundbite out of anybody. It's impossible. And do it while, like, pushing the show and what Vince wants. It's ridiculous. And then we've got Razor Ramon versus Bob Backlund. Oh, my God. Razor has a bum knee here, so they got to keep it short. Um, Razor gets a pop, even though he's supposed to be a heel. He is just too cool to boo. I forgot that he was supposed to be a heel here. From the moment he walked into this building, like he brings with him the first whiff of the Attitude Era. Because he's just too fucking cool for this era of WWF. He doesn't fit. Like he, he feels like an alien from another world. And then Bob Backlund comes out to silence and some booze. Like, he has no music, so the silence is yeah. really, really noticeable. He How still has, have they not given him entrance music? It's 1993. He still has his, like, 1983 haircut. Yeah. Like, he looks like, all shucks, I'm just little old Bob Backlund. <laughs> Razor wins with a cradle in three minutes. I've heard Backlund didn't want to take the Razor's edge. I mean, I wouldn't want to take the Razor's edge either. (laughs) Doesn't look fun. I think I've only seen it happen like five times where it didn't look like Razor was literally struggling to make it happen. I still don't understand how they let him do that finish ever. Because it looked like he's not a big enough dude that that's an easy thing for him to do to people, you know? No, and... 
their roster is so big at this point that there's a ton of guys it's a struggle to hit it on you want nash to do this fine but like razor like struggled getting dudes up for this and then if they were too light, like when he did it to one, two, three kid, he just spike them right on the top of their head. Then Mean Gene interviews Money Incorporated. They allude to an incident at the gym with Hogan the night before. Lots of stuff happened off camera on this show. So they mentioned that uh, Luna attacked Sherry backstage during one of the previous matches. They mentioned that Lex Luger knocked out Bret Hart at the bacon bagels and biceps brunch or whatever it was called. And of course there's this whole thing with Hogan. I would be so happy to attend a bacon bagels and biceps brunch. Bring like, that shit back. Bring it back, baby. I would pay good money for all three of those things. So next up, we got our World Tag Team title match. Money, Inc. defend against Hulk Hogan and Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Uh, Money, Inc. beat up Beefcake on Raw. They smashed his face with a briefcase, and Hulk Hogan returned to defend his friend Brutai. Here's the thing, and there's really only one way we can talk about this match. If this is an eight-minute match, That's there's fine. nothing wrong yeah. with it. Like, all of these guys are over, but none of them can work anymore. And, like, people really want to see Hulk. Hulk gets a mega pop when he comes out. Of course he does. But this match goes 20 minutes. It's how did they think they could get that much time out of this? This is the longest match on the card, guys. Yes. Yeah. Over 18. I, yeah, would have kept this to 10 minutes. Everybody in this match is, like, broken down and old and shitty and suck. Like, no, this needs, no, this is horrible. It's, yeah, just the longest, longest match. It just keeps going. And, like, (laughs) nothing happens in it, ever. Finally, after forever, the ref gets knocked down. Hogan knocks out both members of Money, Inc. with Beefcake's mask, and Jimmy Hart crawls into the ring, takes his jacket off, reverses it, and it has stripes on, and he counts the three. Now, that is a great touch, and I've marked out big for that, and I always do. Why would he have thought in advance to have that in the inside of his... <laughs> Has it been like that all along? He's just and he always just, been waiting for this moment. Yeah, since like 1986, he's just been waiting for in case he needs to be the ref. Yeah. Hogan and Beefcake celebrate with the belts. A second referee comes down to call for a disqualification. And then Hogan and Beefcake proceed to pose for, I swear, 10 minutes. Now, if you know Hogan's going to pose later... But maybe they didn't want to give that away. Maybe they're just like, well, we can't have him not pose. People will assume he's coming out later. Yeah. So you got to do the, again, another case for keeping this match short. He basically spends five total minutes unchecked on this show just posing. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing beginning to end close to 30 minutes. Fuck. Now, in theory, this is like the semi-main event, right? Yeah, it's this is the second biggest match on the show. Yeah, so like, okay, I, I get that. In a modern WrestleMania, like, you would expect, like, the second world title match to get plenty of time, and that's basically the equivalent of what that is. But shit, man, that's a lot of time to devote to this garbage. 
This is the only thing on this show that I will argue is unredeemable garbage. <laughs> Next up, Mean Gene interviews Mr. Perfect. He cannot say narcissist. He cannot get this word out. He keeps calling him Lexicist. What is that? (sighs) And we've got Lex Luger versus Mr. Perfect. Um, Luger looks so great here. Like he gets a star's entrance where he's got four showgirls accompanying him in the giant mirror. This is one of the greatest entrances in the history of WrestleMania. And I won't hear anybody tell me any differently. He comes out completely covered in this giant cape, so you can't see his body. The showgirls pull all the mirrors around, and then he un- takes off the cape. And there's a lot of cases in wrestling. Like, this is the old Chris Masters thing, right? When he took off yeah. the cape, it'd be like, well, he looks pretty good. Like, it's not like a man. When, when Lex Luger takes this cape off, it's maybe the most incredible body I've ever seen on a human being. Yeah. And, and like literally we've been looking at like Bob Backlund and Doink the Clown all night. Yeah, again, this is a roster where the bodies have changed. Like yeah. and the personnel has changed. There is no longer there's no warlord here. They're yeah. not the big steroided up monsters of the past. Luger again is dropped in from another planet here. This body would have stood out in like the era of bodies because it's it's one of the greatest of all time it's defined every muscle like picked out and like look man i'm not like a big muscle dude per se like i'm into dudes but like not necessarily this type but this is just like he was chiseled out of stone i've never seen a human being look like this it's crazy it's incredible i i think it was on something to wrestle with they talked about the hilarious story yes So Luger has, like, these tights with tassels on them. Perfect would, like, pull off one tassel each match, and this would just drive Luger crazy. Because, like, Lex Luger sounds like he's kind of obsessive-compulsive. Like, just some some things you're hearing about him. Like, it just sounds like he's kind of—he's a very tightly wound guy. So, like, Luger—Perfect would just rip off a tassel and backstage go to him after the match, backstage be like— Hey, I got you. Sorry, man. Here's the tassel. I got it for you. And he would, like, lose his shit. Yeah. Lex Luger's very obsessed with his appearance, and I think you might be right. I don't think you can achieve, like, a physique like this without being, like, having a mental illness of some sort. It's just not the the amount amount of work. The amount of discipline this takes, how much you have to work out, and how well you have to eat. It's just impossible. Like, a, a normal person could never do this. You have to pay the bartender to peel your shrimp for you. That's another amazing Lex Luger story. God damn it, Lex. What a fucking weirdo <laughs> you are. Um, This match is okay, but I just... Mr. Perfect, after his back injury, just was not the same. I mean, it's true. It's... They really could have used a fully intact perfect because that's another guy who really could have put bread over huge. Yes. I mean, they had a really good match at King of the Ring, but just, yeah, perfect is not the same at this point. He just doesn't have what he had before. And it's understandable. His back is really messed up. Yeah. That's what happens when you take like preposterous bumps for 20 years. (laughs) Yeah. That's what happens when you bump on every single punch. Um, 
finish comes when they're struggling over a backslide. Luger gets perfect down and he pins him, even though perfect's feet are on the ropes. Perfect then complains to the ref. He gets blindsided by Luger's bionic forearm. And then they do some, they do a cool angle. Perfect recovers. He chases Luger back through the curtain and the camera follows him until he finds Luger hanging out with Shawn Michaels. And then Michaels jumps perfect and beats the absolute shit out of him. This is great. Not only because this creates like another match between like perfect and Michaels. That's yeah. like a cool and program. Leads that, they did that great angle on raw where they smashed up the car, but they, this just didn't happen in these days. No, you don't see backstage ever. No. You damn sure don't see like wrestlers who aren't in any way in a program together, just chatting backstage like coworkers. And you never saw, like, storylines between these two wrestlers connecting with another wrestler in a way like this. It just didn't, wasn't presented that way. This is a show of all these weird firsts and, like, experiments. I love it. And then we've got The Undertaker versus Giant Gonzalez. Yeah, get ready for me to try to spin this shit. <sighs> Jorge Gonzalez. You know Before we even get into this, part of the problem with Giant Gonzalez is we've seen plenty of El Gigante in WCW. And, man, he just only really works as a babyface. Yeah. He was kind of a great babyface. He's not vicious. He seems like a super nice guy. Yeah. Like, when he would, like, just talk to the fans, like, they would respond to him because he just came across like a genuine, cool, nice dude. And of course, they gave him literally the worst ring attire in history. Yeah, let's paint him a word picture, Steve. What is he wearing? A full body suit with fur and painted on muscles and a dick ruffle. They've also cut his hair in such a way that he has <laughs> he's got like, like a baby mullet. Yeah, he's got like a baby mullet that's like flat on top. And he's got like this really square beard. They're trying to make him look literally like Bigfoot. That is apparently what they were trying to accomplish with this. They should have probably just called him Bigfoot, man. I mean, look, they've got he's an intriguing prospect. He is so tall. He is It's a fucking joke how big he is, man. It's ridiculous. He walk he, he climbs he is over the ropes. More than six inches taller than the Undertaker. He climbs over the ropes like you, like, walking over a Lego set. Like, it's ridiculous. I mean, so I would speculate. The Undertaker, 6'8 in boots, I would say. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, 6'7", 6'8", something eight. like that. He's really tall. Really, really tall. Giant Gonzalez dwarfs him. Like, you could believe that he's, like, what, 7'4", 7'5"? I think he might well have been seven foot four. Yeah. Like he's, he's bigger than Kali. Oh yeah. And so Kali this is, is quite a bit bigger than the undertaker of the big show. Yeah. Well, Kali's just actually seven feet tall. Yeah, Kali's <laughs> a real seven footer. There's not a lot of those in wrestling, but this motherfucker is a freak of nature. And like, despite the fact that obviously he sucks at wrestling, he can move. He was a professional athlete. Yeah, his knees are a little messed up, but yeah, he was a pretty good basketball player. Like, if anything, the problem from WWE is he's too scrawny, because he was a basketball player, so he got so much damn cardio that he's all legs and arms. Like, he doesn't have, like, a lot of muscle mass or anything. 
So they've given him this ridiculous muscle suit to try to make him look more threatening. I would argue that it doesn't matter how spindly your body is. If you're seven foot four, you're still pretty fucking threatening. Undertaker gets an awesome entrance here as he comes out on a funeral chariot with a black vulture. For my money, and we can argue about this. This rules. This is The Undertaker's best WrestleMania entrance. For my money. Yeah, it probably is, actually. Like, what are the other ones that you'd put up there? I'm trying to... It doesn't feel like he had very many special entrances at WrestleMania. He had a runner for a little while. He like he did the one with all like the zombie arms reaching the out. Zombie for arms him. is cool. All the uh, graves of all the people he had beaten when he lost to Lesnar. The Johnny the Johnny Cash entrance theme was cool. That was cool, yeah. But yeah, it seemed like usually he would just get his normal entrance at WrestleMania. It was it, when they did the one in Orlando and they had the boats on the lake behind the stadium and they could have the flames shoot all the way up yeah. over the stadium. That was cool. Unfortunately, the pyrotechnics malfunctioned and they shot them into the crowd. Love that. Yeah, that was unfortunate. But this, and I this hate to keep awesome. saying this, but like there's just something about this show. They have access to all of these zoo yeah. animals. That's, so and that's even, where this came from is, yeah, I don't think they planned this. It was just like, like Caesar's Palace just came to them with the list of like, okay, here's all the animal acts we've got. Like we've got an elephant, we've got, and they would look at the list like a vulture. Like that would be amazing for the Undertaker. Yeah, we didn't even fucking mention the fact that like there was a fucking elephant at the start of this show, yeah. which kicks ass. And like if you were doing the production, and you're not used to handling animals. You probably would have felt pretty nervous about just having a gigantic elephant walking around the crowd like you could trample them at any moment. But this is a working elephant and he did a great job. <laughs> but yeah, just the oh, image, wow. the undertaker with his hat, hair in his eyes and his hat down with like the vulture just like flapping its wings and looking around is so threatening. And this is the era of his music, too, where it was just like the original organ the music. Organ, yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah, it makes up for the fact that he has to make the entrance in the daylight. Yeah. It almost makes it crazier that it's in the daylight and you see him because he just feels. I wish he had gotten to be a heel here, honestly, because yeah. this is terrifying. Taker does his best here. He's much more active here than he typically would be in this era. Like, he is moving and bumping here because somebody has to. Gonzalez He's tries really his best. Bad. Like, He's he just, just not good. He just can't do very much. No. He's not. He doesn't have a lot of training or experience, and his body is just so awkward. I, I will say this. This match is what this match is. It almost doesn't really fucking matter if the match is a bad match, but it was just a spectacle. The Undertaker didn't have good matches in these days. For all everybody points this one out, I challenge you to produce an Undertaker match that was not literally the shits until he starts feuding with mankind. Like, it's... Yeah, it's a short list. Him and Diesel had a good match at WrestleMania... It's all of his matches were just for him, him and Yoko's matches were him and Yoko had pretty good chemistry. That's true. Right? That's their true. Matches. But yeah, for the most part, it was just like, let's put him up against a big monster. It's not the point is not to have a good match. And this was just all about the spectacle. And it yeah. delivered that like just the image of him, like flying all over the place, like Shawn Michaels would against him trying to do anything to this big fuck is incredible. Uh, the we problem get- 
such a bizarre DQ finish here. Yeah, the problem with this match is not the match. It's the finish, which... So, Harvey Whippleman passes Gonzalez a rag. And then he just starts rubbing the rag on Taker's face right in front of the ref. Yeah. While the announcers say, like... They can smell the chloroform from where yeah, they're at. Savage can't say chloroform. Yes, he tries a million times. Uh, cl- chloroform, what, what do you call it? Why didn't they just say ether? I don't really... It's an ether-soaked rag, whatever. Look, this is fucking stupid. Why can't Gonzalez just beat him? Is the thing. <laughs> That's the crazy thing. He probably should have just beat him here and it would have killed the streak. Yeah, I just I understand what this is going to do to the future, but there's literally no reason why you wouldn't have Gonzalez no. beat him clean. It would like, be just like when Great Kali pinned Undertaker with his foot. That should have been how this match goes. Gonzalez should have literally jobbed him out in three minutes. Done. Put a foot on his chest, it's over. Then you wheel the Undertaker back, and then he's raised back from the dead, and then he's superpowered, and he, and he, he can survived. win. Yeah. That's how that works. Instead, he gets ethered. What the fuck? Okay. They stretcher him out. The crowd starts chanting for Hogan, which okay. not a bad idea. This is the moment where if you yeah. don't have Hogan on this show already, would have this gone is insane if Real American had hit. That's the moment. Of course, then you'd have to job Gonzalez out. Yeah. But, like, yeah. And then maybe down the road you could do, like, a tag match, like Hogan and The Undertaker, oh, the most unlikely cool tag team. How that sound? Versus Gonzalez and somebody else. Who cares? Like that. Then suddenly Undertaker's the new star that you build. Instead, the bell tolls. Undertaker comes back to life. He returns to the ring, and he close, close lines Gonzalez down, which... 50-50 booking. It's just 50-50 booking achieves nothing, and we hate it. And we've mentioned numerous times on this podcast that it's it's just a way to accomplish nothing. Gonzalez doesn't come out of this looking strong. No. Taker doesn't come out of this looking strong. It just, it just happened. And now we're moving on. Then Mean Gene interviews Hulk Hogan. He says he just came from Bret Hart's locker room. I hate this promo. It's one of the worst promos in wrestling history, and I'll tell you why. Because what he's supposed to accomplish here is he's supposed to say, I just came from Bret Hart's locker room, and he's got my support 100%. He's the champion of the new generation, and I'm behind him all the way. He's the guy, I'm going to watch his back, because you can't trust Fuji. Fuji's going to try to screw him, and I know it. So I'm going to be out there at ringside, and I'm going to watch my buddy's back. That's what he's supposed to say. He says none of those things. No, he says Bret Hart's a Hulkamaniac. Yeah, he just keeps saying Hulkamaniac. Like, he's just basically he's jobbing Bret out by just making him, like, his little buddy. Yeah. That is not what this is supposed to be. Just says Bret Hart's a jabroni mark who don't know it'll work when they work a work into a shoot. Marks. He literally is just about what he says. Like, well, Bret Hart's going to go in there and he's going to get fucked over by Fuji because he's a fucking mark and he doesn't know how the business works. <laughs> He says he wants to take over whoever has the belt after tonight, whether it's Brett or, quote-unquote, the Jap, brother. <sighs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's ni- reminder, it's 1993, not 1963. Part of the... 
something to wrestle with podcast was they kept bringing up that like there were all of these like Japanese American like yeah activist groups being like you can't put this shit on television you racist fucks <laughs> and Bruce having to call them snowflakes and they get to this yeah it's indefensible. Like, literally, like... The most flagrant, blatant racism imaginable. We are fully 50 fucking years after World War II, and they are literally using the word Pearl Harbor over and over on television. (sighs) Guys, come the fuck on. Yeah, they shot a pretty intense angle on Superstars, where... um, Yoko hit Duggan with the bonsai drop. Duggan bled from the mouth. And I think Yoko covered him. Did he cover him in the American flag or the Japanese flag? In the American flag. That is heat. I am surprised they did that. Um, I was playing, prob- that was playing with fire. They probably regret it because literally they couldn't air that anywhere because all the TV stations refused to air it. Yeah. Because they were getting so much feedback from people like – I'm Again. surprised they went. I'm surprised they went there two years after the Sergeant Slaughter thing. And you would say that maybe WWE would have lo- learned a lesson from this, but look, Muhammad no. Hassan happened eight years after this. Yeah. Like they didn't they learn know. shit. Yeah. All right, main event time. Bret Hart defends the World Wrestling Federation Championship against Yokozuna. This is what the world has come to. There is a buzz in the arena about this like there's a real big fight feel here yoko comes out first and he blocks out the sun there are very few wrestlers ever and there have been some of the most impressing impressive physical specimens in human history have been pro wrestlers i can name on one hand the number of people who fans literally go ooh when they walk out and yoko was one of those guys Part of it is he takes the robe off and you you actually you see his body. It's not covered by a singlet. You see just how enormous he is. And, and it's of course, not that... Vince McMahon desperately regrets that he let him wear tights and didn't just have him show the cheeks. Just show the cheeks so you can see his whole taint like we did with Big Show the one time. <laughs> That's the problem is like. There's going to be so much accidental nudity if you do that. You're just going to see his whole asshole on multiple <laughs> Nobody occasions. needs to see that. Nobody yeah. needs to see that. But, like, he also just has presence. Like, the man has presence in a way that a, we've seen a lot of big dudes. Like, Viscero was every bit as big as Yokozuna was. But, yeah. like, just didn't have any presence to him. No, he couldn't, he couldn't move like Yoko could. That was the thing, is the bell would ring and Yoko was quick as a cat. Yeah, but there's just something about this man. Like, he would stand in the ring and you'd be like, fuck, who could ever beat this dude? Fuck. And then Brett comes out and the crowd goes nuts. Yeah, and he looks awesome in all pink. He looks like a three-year-old about to fight a grown man. And, like... There's just something about them standing across the ring from each other where you're like, Brett can't possibly win this match. This is like Rocky versus Ivan Drago. Like, it's just an outrageous mismatch. We would say Bret Hart, six foot, 215 pounds. Yeah, we're talking about, like, a middleweight against a super heavyweight here. He's a normal-sized guy. You saw him at the mall, you wouldn't think twice. And then, yeah, Yokozuna is enormous. And that, that's that's the appeal of this match. 
like as the bell rings, people are buzzing because they don't know what they're about to yeah. see. This is the first WrestleMania main event that you can't imagine in your head before it happens. Yoko, and you could believe Yoko could squash him. Oh, yeah. like, a, like Yoko fucking... beating him in two minutes would have been totally plausible and not a crazy idea. And, like, the announcers are doing such an amazing job here. Like I said, Savage is doing like, all this stuff like, I gave him everything I had. And I just couldn't beat apart. him. Yeah. yeah. Like, you got to stay away from him, Brett. You got to get him on the mat. And you got to work him on the mat because once he gets you, here, you're done. Brett is aggressive to start. They're playing up that he is the underdog here, not just because of his size, but also that he got knocked out by Lex Luger just this morning. Yeah, they bring that up a lot. There was some vague grainy footage of, like, like Luger attacking him. Did they actually show that at some point? They didn't I, show it on this show. I feel like I've seen it. Maybe they showed the it on to Raw. This. Yeah. I think maybe it was on Raw, but I definitely saw the clip while I was doing research for this. It's also weird because I don't think it led to anything. Yeah, that's the thing. Did Brad I mean, and Luger work a program after WrestleMania and the no, house shows, turn, maybe? Maybe yeah, on the house shows. But well, they yeah, I mean, Luger's still a heel until the summer, but yeah, I don't may, I don't know. Maybe it led to a match between Brett and Luger, which I'd be interested to see, actually. That actually sounds really intriguing. I mean, that's what you should do. Like, if you're doing the European run, right, the right thing to do is have Hogan work Yoko and have Luger work Brett. Like, that that just yeah. makes sense. That's not what happens, but maybe that's because Hogan didn't get to go. Yoko turns the tide. He hits a gigantic leg drop. Works, works over Brett. Brett gets his boots up on an avalanche and then hits a bulldog off the second rope. Yoko, Yoko shuts down the comeback with a thrust kick, puts on a nerve hold. Yoko misses another charge. Hart hits another bulldog off the second rope. I mean, there's only so many moves Brett can do to Yoko. But I really love that every time he pulls off any sort of offense, yeah. even if crowd it's just pops. like countering with a kick, the crowd pops like they genuinely did not expect him to be able to fight back. Like the announcers are putting over like – Every second that goes by that this match is still going on, Brett has a better chance. Yeah. He's just got to survive. So Brett wrote in his book that he had a huge closing sequence planned here, but that Yoko was blown up and they rushed to the finish, so he didn't really get to do it. I wonder how much of it is that and how much of it is just like the show was running kind of long and they just needed they needed time to get to the Hogan pose in part. If you think about it, too, they probably should have cut like a solid five minutes off the rest of the show, because what's going to happen here at the end, if you had taken more, if you taken more time with it, there's a lot of ways it could have been done better to make it more effective. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, but also, yeah, it really just didn't have a lot of time left at the end Mm. at all. Uh, Brett hits a second rope elbow, a diving clothesline, and a heart attack. Brett goes for the 10 punch, but Yoko powers out. In the process, Brett pulls the pad off the turnbuckle, and then he rams Yoko's head into the exposed buckle. Goes to get him in the sharpshooter. They say the announcers do not believe he can put this on. They think it's impossible that he could turn Yoko, but he manages to. Literally, they had to try it out backstage oh, yeah. to make sure that it was physically possible. Yeah. Like, they had no idea. Like, Yoko's thighs are so big, you could totally believe Brett can't cross his calves. 
the moment he gets it on him, the yeah. crowd goes ballistic. I they imagine think he's the win. pain he must be in. Yeah. But Fuji throws salt in his eyes, and Yoko covers Brett for the pin. I thought it was really weird that Yoko didn't hit him with a splash or something. This is the stiffest stuff thrown in somebody's eye spot <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen in my life. Like, this isn't just powder. This is salt. Like, Fuji just, like, overhand baseball pitches salt directly it into his fucking eyes. Yeah, I bet you it did. You see the salt go into his eyeballs. So Yeah, he should have at least, like, dropped a leg or something. Especially given what's about to happen next. I think the leg drop would have been a perfect finish. Absolutely. Yoko has won the title, and then we get the debacle that ensues. Hogan comes out to check on Brett. He just appears. While he's checking on Brett, Fuji gets a microphone and challenges Hogan to a match right here, right now. Hogan goes and checks with Brett, like tries to be like, no, fuck you. We're not, I don't care. No, no, no. I got to get my my buddy out of here. Then Fuji says he'll put the belt on the line. Yes, and suddenly Hogan's ears perk up. Oh, did he say I could get the belt? He asks Brett, like, hey, man, what should I do? And Brett says, go, go do it. Brett tells him to go do it. Go get him. Hogan still looks like a giant asshole here. Of course he does. Then Hogan gets in the ring. Fuji throws salt in Yoko's eyes by accident. Hogan drops the leg. He's the new champion. Yeah, like 30 seconds. And then he poses for five minutes. Now, should should they have had an actual, even if it was like a two or three minute match, should they have had an actual match here? They should have done a little. No, You know what? Honestly, I would say no. I think it actually works better this way because it doesn't kill Yoko to lose this way because this is such an obvious fluke. And then we come, when we come back at King of the Ring, if Yoko just murders him, then he gets yeah. all of his heat back. That's fine. And that is what they meant to do until they had to do business with Hogan to get the match in the ring. Okay, first things first. This is bizarre on a truly unthinkable level. But there's so many ways it could have been slightly improved. For example... If Fuji and Yokozuna had done a promo anywhere on this show where they said, once we're done with Brett, we're coming for you, Hogan. You're the embodiment of America, and we're going to take you out. Sure. Just to explain why they would do this. Why on earth would he challenge Hogan right after he's just wrestled? It's insane. The other problem is Mr. Fuji isn't amazing at promos. No, you can't really. He's like... Hogan, you big man, uh, fight my Yokozuna. You can barely understand him. It's just like, if you're a tower of purity, fight Yokozuna. Like, what yeah. the fuck are you talking? If they had somebody else to cut that promo to be like... Cornette, who they would subsequently bring in to manage Yokozuna Cornette, and talk for him. Yeah, because Cornette would have said something like, fucking Hulk Hogan got to poke your head into anything. My yeah. Yokozuna, he's not even tired. You want to bring your old ass in here so he can put you down too? That would have made way more sense. Right? But like for them to put the belt on the line against Hogan without any prior explanation of why they would want to do that makes no sense. It's insane. So Hogan poses down for five minutes. I mean, the crowd is going crazy. It's by far the biggest reaction of anything on the show. 
I have to say this, and I know what the response is going to be, oh, and no. I accept it in my heart. But this rule, I need you guys to understand this, that separated from what happens afterwards, just as a thing that happens on this night, this is one of the coolest ways to possibly end a WrestleMania. It's the babyface version of what Seth Rollins yeah. does, and that's super cool and ended a WrestleMania. The, the it, match, it feels less weird in hindsight because now it feels like we get you know impromptu stuff at WrestleMania all the time. Yeah, but it had never even remotely happened like this yeah. before. Just the idea that you could have a match between Brett and Yoko and then Hulk Hogan ends. Do you know how much I was telling what happened to everybody on the playground the night after this? Like, yeah. literally, this is the biggest thing that had ever happened in my entire life. Like, I was the guy who bought the changed hands twice. Twice. Literally, what Bruce Pritchard said that they wanted to have happen were like people would talk about it and then they'd have to order the replay. That's literally what I did. I went around and told everybody. People who did not give a shit. I told everybody. (laughs) I told the mailman. I told my teachers. I was like, like, shut up. Wrestling's stupid now. Hey, shut the fuck up. Paul Kogan won the belt last night. And I was a huge Bret Hart fan. I don't think it necessarily made Brett look weak to do this, which I think is a lot of people's argument because Brett looks like an unbelievable underdog champion who got screwed in part of his match. I don't think he looks weak. If this builds to anything, ultimately, like if this eventually this exact segment builds to Brett versus Hulk, this is an unbelievably amazing segment. Yeah, this is awesome. If Hogan ultimately, you know, Hogan would have been the heel against Brett. Like, well, he gets a pop here. The fans were starting to get tired of him. He would subsequently get a lot of booze when he would come out. If he keeps the belt and and loses it back to Brett at SummerSlam, that's all. Brett wins the King of the Ring to get the title shot. Yeah. And then, like, Hogan can cut all these promos about how, like, you think you can replace me, you little fucking jabroni. You can't even tie my yeah. fucking all boots. All Hogan's irreplaceable. He's immortal. And that's all it would have taken to turn him heel. It's just for Hogan to just say what he really feels yeah. about the situation. And he, and, and he hates the fans because the fans have turned on him. He, did, he made one mistake, and all these people turned on him. They abandoned him after he fought for them for all those years. You want you demanded that I be perfect. No man's perfect. How dare you hold me to that standard? Yeah, it, yeah just let him vent his real feelings, and it would have been money. And just have Brett be like, you were my hero, too. Yeah. Like, we were all of our hero. Like, yeah. He, you carried this business. I wanted to honor you by holding this belt, and now you're such a piece of shit. I have to take it from you. That's literally if Bret Hart wins that match at SummerSlam and goes on, he's the biggest star in the industry, and like WWE's healthy again. That's what he needed. But now Hogan, as we've said, was not going to lose the title. To, like he was not going to put over Bret Hart. That was never going to happen in this era. But here's what I'll argue too. Even if everything happens the same way, Hogan puts over Yokozuna at King of the Ring. Not as definitively as you would like, but he does do it. If they don't make the switch to Lex in the summer, and instead it's just Yokozuna with a reign of dominance for a year until Brett gets to him, I think it still all works. Yeah, if I don't know who you I don't know who you feed him at SummerSlam. I mean, uh, Razor maybe I don't know, but maybe yeah, perfect. 
savage again. Whatever you do, you can make it work. But whatever you do, like the sequence of events that happens here, what you get here is an amazing, feel-good, cool, interesting, one-of-a-kind moment with Hogan ending the match, ending the night with the belt. The crowd going absolutely ballistic. It's like a one last shining moment for Hulk before you put him out to pasture, right? That's great. Then Ho- Yoko gets all of his heat back. Then you have a whole pay-per-view in King of the Ring where Brett gets his heat back. And then you just work that story all the way till WrestleMania. And then that moment you get at the end of the next year's WrestleMania where Brett beats Yoko and the whole roster puts him on his shoulders and marches him around except for Owen. You could do the same fucking thing. And it works. Lex is what ruins it all. Yeah, I would argue Yoko should have just beaten Brett here and walked out as champion. Yeah. That's he, had money, he had money in Yokozuna. He was a huge attraction. You could have made him special. Vince is just not ready to have a heel win at WrestleMania, I think, is the issue here. The first time he's comfortable with it is only because, A, it's Triple H. And, B, he knows you have a huge rematch coming yeah. the very next month. Where Triple H will lose the title to The Rock. Yeah. yeah. And, like... I don't think he's comfortable other than that until, God, when does a heel win the first time after that? In the main event, the final match? Yeah. Lesnar? Which time? I'm trying hard to think of a time before Lesnar-Roman. Uh, yeah, I mean, so WWE considers John Cena babyface, so I guess none of those count. No. I'm still thinking about it. Yeah, this is tough, guys. Like, it may never have the purely... Miz, the Miz, WrestleMania 27. That is true. Okay, I'll yeah. give you that. So, before that, this is literally the only other time they even fucking flirted with definitively putting a guy over. And you could even say that that didn't happen there, because The Rock interfered and cost John Cena the match. Like, it's... Sure. What, the, he's never definitively said this heals better than the baby face. They win tonight. That's just not Vince. He doesn't believe in that. No. So Yoko probably no. should have won, but it's just not an option. And sure, we can second guess him, but ultimately it worked out in the end for him. I mean, it did. And that's the thing is that this show gets such an unbelievably bad rap. And like, obviously, there's a lot of brutal weird shit on here but it's this main event that mostly gets it and i just need to put across the idea that if you just let go for a second that this was some sort of like abomination against the booking gods it's just this unbelievably fresh interesting thing that never happened again and was just in the moment so purely exciting like wrestling hadn't been this exciting it had gotten pretty stolid and weird this kicked ass, and it still does every time I see it. So, yeah, that's a wrap on WrestleMania 9 and a wrap on this era of the Lawcast. Who would have thought when we did that WrestleMania 9 podcast five years ago that we would run this this long and it would be this successful? There's Not more- me, and probably not you either. Fuck no. I had had a podcast before this one that... 30 people fucking listen to that was just like a thing we did with our buddies 
the immortal first words that you said to me when you introduced me on the very first one was explain yourself, which <laughs> why, I, why the hell do you like WrestleMania nine? I will always hold that in my heart. And I don't feel like I ever did properly explain myself to you over the years for all the various horrible opinions. No one that understands. I no, we've gone through so many things on this show from you thinking that Shawn Michaels going to debut at every single one of the <laughs> 250 shows that we covered to, us creating like a, a drinking game out of the various things that we would do again and again. This has been pure enjoyment for me. I can't imagine what the last few years would have been without us doing the show together. This has kicked so much ass. Yeah. We got through some real thin years for wrestling. We got through some tough years for uh, the world. And yes. thankfully things are moving in the right direction now. Um, but yeah, would not have happened if not for all of you listening at home. Never would have thought that we would ultimately have thousands and thousands of people listening to these shows, but we do. Yeah, that that's one of the funniest parts, too, is that we've never had a bigger uh, group of people listening to it than we do right now. The audience just kept getting bigger right as we came to our big break. If we learned anything from wrestling, it's walk away on top. Leave them wanting more. That's right, baby. When I met. Steve, at the beginning of this podcast, we were strangers. Now we're good friends. I hope all of you guys are our good friends, too, and that you'll wait for us because we are coming back. We yes. promise. If we learned anything else from wrestling, it's that retirements are never really real. You got damn right. You got to make that big, big money with the big comeback, and that's what we're going to do later on this year. Yeah, so look out for that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time. <laughs>